There's so much noise pollution within the streets and within our souls, and so many voices telling us to do this or buy that. But in the midst, there's also a voice that is the way, the truth, and the life of freedom and love. This is a time to stop blowing our own horns or honking in anger or being sucked down the rabbit hole chasing silly distractions and instead stop and listen to Jesus. That's the Reverend Dr. J. Peter Holmes. And today he brings you a challenging message of faith called Listen to Jesus. I'm Peter Wallace. It's day one. Welcome to day one the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's historic Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. Now to introduce this week's preacher, here's our host, Peter Wallace. Thank you, Sherry. Today on Day One, we're honored to have with us the Reverend Dr. J. Peter Holmes, who serves as the minister of York Minster Park Baptist Church in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Peter joined the ministry team at York Minster Park in 1995 and has served as minister of the congregation since 2001. He also organizes and hosts the Lester Randall Preaching Fellowship, which attracts clergy and laity from far and wide to Toronto each fall. Peter is a graduate of the University of Victoria and earned his Master of Divinity from Wycliffe College at the University of Toronto and his doctorate at Acadia Divinity College and Acadia University in Nova Scotia. He earlier served other churches in Toronto and Montreal before his call to Yorkminster Park. Peter, welcome to day one. Thank you. It's a privilege to be with you. I think you are the first preacher from Canada we've had on day one, and if we have to have a Canadian, I'm glad it's you, as I have thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you at several of the Lester Randall preaching conferences you host. Before we get to that, introduce us to your church, its history, its people, and its ministry. York Minster Park Baptist Church is on the main street of Toronto, Young Street, right in the heart of midtown Toronto. Mm. The church's history goes back 150 years when it was a plant from one of the mother churches downtown mm-hmm. on the edge of the city, which is now right in downtown. Mm-hmm. And um, then it, it moved up to Midtown 100 years ago, what's now Midtown. And um, But 60 years ago, another congregation, which had been downtown, uh, the church burned down, and that was Park Road Baptist, and they merged with York Minster, so it became York Minster Park. Um, it's, it's a church that has a, a great history or tradition of of liturgy, um, preaching, and uh, and and music, and has a tremendous uh, heart for the for the city and the needs of the city, reaching out in various ways to the community around. Mm. You've served there a good number of years now. How has your role evolved, and what are you focusing on these days as minister of the congregation? When I first came to the church, I was the minister of pastoral care, mm. um, which is an aspect of the ministry that I love and uh, still is part of what I do. Um, But uh, the leadership of worship and the preaching um, was handed to me, and the leadership of the team of the church, so the overall ministry and and the ministry staff um, I supervise. And um, that's a great privilege because I have a great team. Mm. And uh, just to walk with them and to be blessed by their gifts uh, is is, uh, part of my everyday experience. Every day is different. We don't know what a day (laughs) brings, but... uh, 
but every day is uh, full of blessings because of this great team I work with. So your church is in Midtown Toronto, and it's a lovely campus. You say more about how you reach out to the community around you. There, there are a number of things we do and have been doing for a long time. Um, we were one of the first churches in the country to uh, start a Meals on Wheels program, mm. and that continues. Probably 25 years ago, um, when homelessness in our city became more and more of a problem, and, and with winter weather in Canada, um, homelessness becomes even more of a problem because mm. people were freezing to death at night. We opened our doors um, along in partnership with other churches so that we would take a night a week where we would provide a meal um, overnight accommodation in our gymnasium, and then uh, a breakfast in the morning. Um, and there's a great volunteer staff, and many come from the community um, to participate in that as well. Um, during COVID, we've had to stop the overnight portion. Mm. I hope that we get to the point in the city where homelessness is no longer a problem, but as long as it is, I hope that we're able to do as much as possible to help in this way. Mm. Um, a number of years ago, the church also realized that that out-of-the-cold ministry, as we call it, is uh, but a Band-Aid solution. Mm. And uh, people came together to form a, a home, uh, which we call the House of Compassion, which uh, provides 24-7 uh, supportive housing for those dealing with serious mental illness. And uh, at, at, in, in the House of Compassion, we have 21 people who live in there in a wonderful community. And, and that's part of... Um, Part of our life together as well. We, um, in other ways, we we open the doors of our church during the week. Again, we had to close that during COVID, but um, for people to come in and pray and uh, and we have a great campus, uh, as you said, a park mm-hmm. um, surrounding the church, which is the church property, and we we have a meditation circle there. We have picnic tables, and uh, we we see the whole community come in, and uh, especially during the spring and summer and fall. And uh, it's it's a real community gathering spot. Mm. The church is also a, within is a, is a great community center. There are a number of things that happen in the church. A lot of art groups uh, um, uh, come in and, and use the facilities, particularly choirs, mm. um, as a rehearsal space, a concert space. And so it's it's a happening place. There's always <laughs> things going on at York Minster Park. So I mentioned the Lester Randall Preaching Fellowship. Explain the purpose of that ministry. The Lester Randall Preaching Fellowship was a dream of one of my predecessors, mm. um, and it was that that we could offer um, an opportunity for clergy um, to to strengthen their gift of preaching. It really highlights the gift of preaching and seeks to encourage clergy um, who want to grow in that way. Ten years ago, we expanded it from being sort of a Saturday lecture and a Sunday guest preacher. Um, to being a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday event Mm -hmm. um, where we bring in various preachers and workshop leaders and offer sermons, workshops, lectures, and all kinds of opportunity. And clergy come from near and far, and Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's really grown. And it's been wonderful to have you as a part of it, Peter. Mm -hmm. And I hope that'll continue because you've been uh, host for some of our uh, programs, and no one interviews people as well as you do. And you just have a way of bringing out the best in people, and uh, I hope you're able to be with us again this year. Well, I hope so, too, and thank you. I, I assume you're already planning this year's conference. Do you have any previews? You know, it's it's going to be at the end of October. We're still working on, on some of the details. So, But what I can tell you is that if you go to uh, LesterRandall.com, you will find um, a number of the lectures and uh, workshops and sermons Mm. from last year's event uh, posted there. 
And we had some remarkable people, like your own Bishop Robert Wright, uh, like Becca Stevens, um, and a whole host of others. Um, and it's it's really worth, it's a wonderful resource. So if, if you go to lesterrandall.com, uh, you'll discover it there. And uh, there's a YouTube channel they have that you that you can go to. In fact, if you go to YouTube and punch in lesterrandall.com, you'll, you'll, you'll come up with everything, going back a number of years. Great. And I have to ask, who was Lester Randall? It's, it's interesting. Um, it was one of my predecessors, Dr. John Gladstone, who was really one of Canada's great preachers um, in, in his time. And uh, one of the lay people in the church, Gerard Collins, uh, who had this dream. And Gerard was Dr. Gladstone's best friend, and he, he, he supported it financially. But they named it for Lester Randall, who was a remarkable lay person in the church, mm. who just was always quietly doing all kinds of things. And one of the things, and he loved the pulpit. Mm. He loved the preachers. And he would often go down to Chautauqua um, every year, listen to the preachers and come back and say, here's who we need to get as our guest preachers. In the years before the internet, he was a publisher Mm. and he would read all kinds of books and he would bring them to Dr. Gladstone and say, here's a book you need to be aware of. Here's here's some quotes you need to be aware of. Mm. And uh, he was just an incredible resource. He loved the preaching ministry of the church. He was a quiet and humble servant and uh, was a deacon in the church. And um, and they wanted to honor him. And, and it was a wonderful thing they did to name it after him. Mm, indeed. Peter, you make a significant impact on the city and beyond. You were a recipient of the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal awarded to honor significant contributions and achievements by Canadians. Congratulations. And just last year, you received the Marjorie McKinnon Ecumenical Lifetime Achievement Award. How did you come to be recognized in that way? Uh, the, the Marjorie McKinnon Award, that was a surprise, a complete surprise. <laughs> uh, the, the members of the St. Lazarus Society um, called me up and said, you know, we would like to nominate you for this award. And, uh, and I was really touched. Uh, I, I do uh, I've offered a lot of ecumenical leadership and interfaith leadership. Mm-hmm. At least I've, I've tried to. Um, and been part of bringing people together in, in the city. And uh, I, I really feel that as the, if you will, cathedral church of, of the Baptist mm-hmm. uh, denomination, that, that really we have a responsibility to, to be the, the, the place where the gathering spot for many voices. And, um, and it's, it's really because of my community, my faith community, that, that I've been able to have such a role. And uh, I, I really feel that the recognition of these things is as much a recognition of the community as, as, it, as it is of me, um, because they have a wonderful, um, open and ecumenical spirit. Mm. And uh, I'm, I'm just blessed to be a part of it. Peter, how did you experience your call to ministry? Peter, I, w- I was um, a child of the manse, if you will. Mm. My father was a very good pastor. He was the minister of a church, primarily of a church in Victoria, B.C. He left there once, and they called him back five mm. years later. Um, he, he was there most of his time, so that's where I grew up. Um, but I think because I was a minister's son, when I was in university, and it seemed like the path to, to go on, I resisted because mm. I didn't want to do it because I didn't want to just do what my father did. I wanted yeah. to find my own route. And so I really looked into and pursued a lot of other paths. And uh, But every time, whichever it was, education, social work, law, it wasn't that the door was shut. In fact, quite to the contrary. But it was just that I, I just didn't feel myself at home in those places quite. 
And uh, I did work and serve as the ombudsman of the university. I worked with the ombudsman of the province of British Columbia and was encouraged to go in that direction. But I I always had this call nagging at me. And mm. uh, so I thought, well, I'll go to seminary um, and I'll go to a seminary at a university where there's a law school so I can switch if, mm. I, if I'm not happy after one year. <laughs> and uh, I, I went and I, I was a student of an Anglican chaplain at the Toronto General Hospital who had an incredible impact on me. And, um, and so I, I, I never looked back. I, I mean, mm-hmm. that's what I'd say. And, and I had a wonderful mentor in preaching, my professor preaching at Wycliffe College, who was Leonard Griffith, who was really one of the great Canadian preachers. And so I, I had this, uh, William Leach was the chaplain at the university, and, and Leonard Griffith, who took a real interest in me, as a student. And uh, I, as I said, I never looked back. I felt so encouraged mm. and affirmed every step of the way. Well, your sermon for Transfiguration Sunday focuses on the gospel text from Matthew chapter 17. Would you read it for us? Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the Beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Well, Peter, there certainly is a lot happening in this dramatic text, but what stood out for you as you prepared your sermon? You're absolutely right. There's all kinds of things (laughs) happening in this text, and and you could go in this direction or that. I chose to really focus on um, listen to him, the voice of the Mm. Father, um, because it really does um, focus on the primacy of Jesus. There were these other very important figures there, Moses and Elijah, the Law and the Prophets, and and they even those things can become a distraction. And God said, "No, this is my son. Listen to him." Mm. And so I, I really focused on that. I mean, there's all kinds of directions you could go on this because, I mean, there's the, there's Jesus coming down saying, "Tell no one until after I've been raised from the dead." There's um, there's do not be afraid, which is a great theme through the scriptures. Um, there's uh, there's this whole thing at the very introduction, six days later. I mean, six days after what? Mm. It's after the confession of Peter mm. up in uh, Caesarea Philippi. But if, So there's all kinds of directions you can go. Um, but I did focus on listen to him. I, I really think that we're launching into Lent, and it's really a time, not, not that there's a time not to, but it's a really time to be very conscious about coming close to Jesus. Well, your message is titled, Listen to Jesus. Peter, thank you for sharing it with us. You're very welcome. It's a privilege. Thank you for all that you do.
This is Peter Wallace. This is going to be a big year for the Day One ministry, but we need your support. If you appreciate the hope-filled messages Day One brings you week after week, please help make this our best year ever. Mail your gift to Day One, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Or call us at 404-815-9110. Or give securely online at dayone.org. And thank you. On the Sunday prior to Lent, Christians around the world turned to the story of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration in order to prepare for the journey towards Jerusalem and the Passion of Christ. When Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration, he consciously turns away from Galilee and towards Jerusalem, knowing full well that the cross lies at the end of the road. There's a valley ahead, the valley of the shadow of death for Jesus, and he's come to walk it with us and for us, so that when our low points come, we will know that we're not alone. However, first he takes the inner circle of his followers up the Mount of Transfiguration to impress upon them the great reality of God's love and light that transcends the troubles of this world. While praying on the mountain with Jesus, the three disciples witnessed Jesus take on a dazzling glow from head to toe. As he prayed, Jesus was communing not just with God the Father, but also with Moses and Elijah. It was as if the whole of the law and the prophets had come alive to point to Jesus. And if we miss the point, as Peter seemed to, God the Father himself spoke to the moment when he said, This is my Son, my Chosen One. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Lent is a time to tune our hearts afresh to Jesus Christ, to intentionally set aside anything that's distracting us from hearing the voice of Jesus. It's so easy to be distracted. Even Peter was distracted with Jesus aglow before his eyes, When he saw Moses and Elijah with Jesus, he said, It's so good to be here, Lord. Let us build three tabernacles or monuments, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you. But before we jump all over Peter, let's ask ourselves, what would we have done? Monuments to the prophets? We'd be taking selfies, posting them to social media, and constantly checking to see how many likes we're getting. E-monuments, electronic ego-monuments. But then it was as if Peter suddenly lost reception, and they were all in the dark, and the cloud lifted, and all that remained was Jesus. At the end of the day, he's what it's all about. And the father said, this is my son. Put away your phone, stop looking at your watch, and listen to him. Historically, Lent has often been a season of fasting. I was on a Lenten retreat several years ago at a convent where we ate together, but we were not allowed to talk during the meals. Perhaps in those years of fasting, the secondary effect was the elimination of idle chit-chat and gossip that might often take place at a dinner table. Not talking was strange, or was it? So often we just eat and run without real conversation, or we sit down in front of the TV with our plate of food. And there's some good TV, but there's a lot of trash too. In no time, we're changing channels every few seconds. And then there's the internet, where we can too soon be lost down a rabbit hole full of half-truths, fueling bigotry and hatred. Even at its best, we can soon find ourselves drowning in information and opinions, wondering with T.S. Eliot, where's the wisdom we've lost in knowledge? Where's the knowledge we've lost in information? 
I've been told by many people that they no longer even read or watch the news, and that's not good news. But then, just when we too are giving up on the news, a news story breaks, and we can't stop watching, whether it was January 6th, 2021, or Russia invading Ukraine in 2022, or the election of a speaker in the House of Representatives, or the Freedom Convoy in my own country, where truckers and others disgruntled with the COVID policies of the Canadian government descended on Ottawa from near and far and surrounded the Parliament buildings with their trucks and rigs and clogged the downtown streets of Ottawa for weeks, during which time their horns were blaring incessantly. And so often the most upsetting things are fueled by misinformation and hatred on the internet. But above all those horns, there's another voice. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. As I listened to the protesters honking their horns in Ottawa and the public in turn complaining, I heard a CBC radio interview with Dr. Andrea McCready, the carillonier of the Peace Tower Bells in Ottawa. What has it been like playing the bells with all the horns honking, she was asked. Challenging, to say the least, but my life as a carillonier has been accompanied by lots of noise on the hill, protests, celebrations, and lots of construction noise, so I deal with it. She deals with all the noise pollution by giving voice to the bells every day. Bells weigh hundreds and some even many thousands of pounds, and when properly cast, hold their tune for a thousand years. She was playing them during the occupation of the Freedom Convoy with horns constantly blaring, and I couldn't help but wonder what the impact and impression was on those honking their horns when they heard the sound of the magnificent bells above them with their true notes. Bells are the true symbol of freedom, not horns. But did anyone listen? There's so much noise pollution within the streets and within our souls, and so many voices telling us to do this or buy that, but in the midst, there's also a voice that is the way, the truth, and the life of freedom and love. The Father said, this is my Son. Listen to Him. This is the time to stop blowing our own horns or honking in anger or being sucked down the rabbit hole chasing silly distractions and instead stop and listen to Jesus. He's always with us, but if we don't turn to the Word and sit still and listen, we may not hear His voice. And we may begin to wonder if he's here at all. But oh, he is. Listen to him. And what wisdom there is in his love and forgiveness, his mercy and grace, his faith and hope. One of the things that Dr. McCready said in the CBC interview was that she had learned to play the instrument at university, but gone on to pursue another career. But then it was on a diverted flight during the 9-11 attacks that caused her to rethink her life. It was as if the bells were calling her to something higher. Lent is a time to divert our path, step back, and listen for the sound of the bells calling us to something higher, to listen for the voice of Jesus. If we're serious about listening to Jesus, we have to follow him down from the mountain and on through the low points of the valley. But as we do, we will come to see ourselves, our neighbors, and the world differently. As we truly listen to Jesus, we will begin to see ourselves and the world as he does. There was once an artist who came to a town and set up his paints and brushes on the outside of a run-down building and began to paint a mural. Curious people gathered to watch, and as they did, he began to paint them into the mural. But when he did, he didn't paint them as they appeared to everyone else, 
and even to themselves. There was a young girl who'd been using crutches for much of her life. Poor girl, everyone would say. But when the artist painted her, it was on a stage as a concert violinist. There was a woman who sat on the edge by herself, seemingly a social cripple, lacking in confidence, to say the least. But in the painting, there she was, but now in the center of the picture, as a community leader. There was an African-Canadian who was the superintendent of the building the artist was painting his mural on. The super had been there ever since he'd arrived in Canada. It was all he'd ever been, as far as anyone knew. But the artist painted him as a surgeon in an operating room. And then there was the indigenous teen, who no one gave the time of day to. But the artist gave her one of his brushes, and she started to paint as he did. Who knew she could paint? He did. Just as he seemed to know that the building superintendent had been a highly esteemed surgeon in his home country. But here he'd been put in a box. The young girl took up the violin and sure enough became a star performer. The artists saw potentialities in people that no one else had dreamed of, and when they saw themselves and others through his eyes, they started to become the people he'd painted them to be. Does it ring a bell? It's just like Jesus. But there were some who saw Jesus as nothing more than a graffiti artist, operating without a permit. There may be things in his mural we don't want to see either. He wants us to love our enemies. And come what may, he's not giving up. He's heading straight for Jerusalem. And just as he predicted, he's going to be arrested, beaten, and crucified unjustly. He's going to Jerusalem to die for the sins of the world and to conquer death. So his vision of a better world where love and forgiveness, healing and hope and peace, yes, peace, are the rule of the day. A world where something even as ugly as a cross, the instrument of torture and death, can become the greatest symbol of hope and healing ever known. And when we listen to Jesus, we will find ourselves in the power of the Holy Spirit, looking at ourselves and others and the world as Jesus does, with the eyes of faith, hope, and love, never giving up on his transforming power. And yet, as I say, that bombs are dropping in Ukraine. Warfare rages, climate changes, refugees are fleeing by the millions. But now is the time to listen. Jesus told the disciples there would be injustice and hatred and fear, and that he would even be crucified. But neither bombs nor pollution nor warfare nor famine nor injustice nor hatred will have the last word. Lent and Holy Week and suffering may all lie ahead, but this, this is Sunday, and it's already Easter. Christ is alive. So let us stay close to Jesus, listen to him, and let his vision guide our hearts and our steps. Let us pray. Gracious God, give us ears to hear the voice of Jesus and grant us the grace to follow. In the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to the Reverend Dr. J. Peter Holmes, Senior Pastor of York Minster Park Baptist Church in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and Director of the Lester Randall Preaching Fellowship. For a free transcript of his sermon, Listen to Jesus, 
call us at 404-815-9110. That's 404-815-9110. Or write to us at Day One, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Keep in mind that Day One depends on the financial offerings of our faithful listeners. Please send your gift to Day One. 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. We're always grateful for your help. I'm Peter Wallace. Next week on Day One, we're honored to have with us the Reverend Michael Livingston, a Presbyterian minister and ecumenical church leader who most recently served as interim senior minister of the Riverside Church in the city of New York. His powerful sermon is called The Gift in Grace. Join us next time on Day One. Day One preacher Peter Holmes offers some final reflections on his sermon, Listen to Jesus. And Peter, you helped us prepare for Lent by taking us up on that Mount of Transfiguration. It's a turning point for Jesus as he changes his direction from Galilee to Jerusalem and the cross. But first you told us he takes his inner circle of disciples to the Mount to impress upon them the great reality of God's love and light that transcends the troubles of this world. And of course, their minds were blown. But I wonder if there are ways we might ourselves experience that great reality of God's love to go up to the Mount and recharge ourselves for our own difficult paths ahead. Any ideas? Well, I did mention that at one point during Lent, I went to a convent and I was very conscious about the fact that I was taking time out. And I mm. think I think wherever we are, the, the key is to, to take the time out to, to let things sink in or to, to let that voice interrupt us and um, to hear it again. Um, I think going to the Word is always, uh, is, is always a key part of that and mm. reading it afresh and letting it read us, in fact. And on the mount, God the Father speaks and says, This is my Son, my Chosen One. Listen to Him. As you point out, we get so distracted by so much noise pollution in our lives today, and it's hard to hear the Caroline bells ringing in the midst of all the honking truckers, as you illustrated so well. So what are some practical ways we might truly listen to Jesus, truly listen for what He is saying to us today? I think the key is to to take time wherever we are. Mm. I find that uh, walking is a great way to to just take time out. It mm-hmm. slows you down. To take a text with you, to to let it speak to you as you're as you're walking. But you know that's not even possible for everyone. But just to take time. There is a um, we do a speaker series um, at the church every month. We have a speaker come in, often someone from the community, someone doing something. Really wonderful. Um, uh, a couple of years back, we had a, a very famous litigation lawyer mm. uh, come. He didn't speak to us about litigation. Mm-hmm. He spoke to us about uh, his passion for art. He um, has a couple of books. I think one of them is 117 pieces of art you need to see in Europe so you can ignore all the rest. <laughs> and then I think there's a similar title for, for um, a book about North American art. And he just has a passion for art and art history. And he spoke to us about um, his years as a student in New York 
and going to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and he would just sit for hours in front of one of Rembrandt's uh, self-portraits. Mm. And then he would go back a few years later, and he's still going back to some of those same paintings mm. of Rembrandt's. And he said, it's it, the way he looks at it, he, he just focuses on this or that, and it's as if he's having a conversation with Rembrandt, mm. the artist. And I think when we go to the Word, and even when we just walk in God's creation, when we listen sometimes to other people, we need to be conscious of the fact that we're in conversation mm. with the divine artist, with, with God himself, with our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. But primarily, we need to always make the Word, the Scriptures, at, at the center of that, to rediscover Jesus and let it, the Word come to life in us and, and read us as much as we read it, as I say. Mm-hmm. Peter, what's one thing from your sermon today that you hope our listeners will carry with them in the days ahead? I, I think it's that old gospel hymn, you know, take time to be holy. Mm. Speak oft with your Lord. Um, it's as simple as that, but we get so distracted and there are so many voices and so many pressures too that come upon us. In, even in ministry, it's just endless and we're just, we can feel swamped in life and, uh, it's just to take time to be holy. Um, I, th- I think that's what I would like them to take away. And as we enter the season of Lent, as we do this week, um, let it be a very special time mm. of devotion and meditation, of conversation with Christ. Peter Holmes, thank you for being with us. You're welcome. I, I love your, your show and your program, and uh, it's a blessing to so many. And thank you for your years of commitment and uh, the passion that you bring to preaching and the gift that you are um, to so many. God bless you. Day One is the voice of America's mainline Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on Day One and forever. Forever.